Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the California Wireless Association podcast. I'm your host, John Coos. I'm a senior vice president at Butler America Telecom and a Calwa board member. Today, my guest is industry veteran Lisa White. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I really appreciate it, and it's going to be fun. So, you know, let me get into some of your history first. So, you know, you are uh, currently, and we'll get into this later, uh, the executive director of business development at Broadstaff. But prior to that, you were at West Tech for a number of years, um, where you were the co-founder and ultimately president. And you, you hold a bachelor's of science degree from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo in industrial technology. You've also been a nonprofit leader, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, you've got to give back to the community. You've got to give back. In, in whatever way we can. And you follow that ethic and you were president of the national charity league and you've been an advisory board member at a college of business at um, your alma mater, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And you've also been a board member at Cala for many years. So um, I'm really excited that you're on the podcast. So as I know you listen to the podcast yes. and, and um, I always ask my guests, um, as you can see in the background, I got a bunch of superheroes back there. So um, I, I want to know uh, your wireless origin story, sort of like, you know, you know, Spider-Man getting bit, bit by a radioactive spider or something, because we all got into the industry differently because we didn't go to college for this or we didn't go to a trade school for this. And but so I always find it interesting, like how people actually got into wireless. So maybe you could talk about your origin story. Yeah, so you're right. Um, no one. uh goes into wireless um, on purpose, so to speak, at least back when the wireless days started. So in 1996, I started with a, a company called Maricom, and they were just a small technical services business that was focused on helping the carriers do the installation and commissioning of their base stations. And at the time, really just the OEM was doing that for them. And and they quickly realized that the OEM would not be able to support that um, for the amount of sites that needed to be installed. And so we built a company called Maricom, and I was fortunate enough to be an early employee there um, and, and grew with the company just a little bit at a time. We really were self-performing the installation and commissioning, opening offices around the country, and really turned into a full turnkey service business for the wireless carriers, everything from um, site development um, all the way through turn up of the cell site, including all the construction pieces in the middle. And as we all remember, 9-11 happened and, and the capital markets drew just dried up and we all had to figure out what we needed to do. It was probably the first time that we all had to make a real true pivot um, which now seems to be kind of our, our common word, right? So um, we did make that pivot. And in 2003, um, I co-founded West Tech with a business partner of mine. 
And we kind of uh, reenacted some of those same things and built a small uh, technical services company that did a lot of installation and commissioning and so many other things with our own in-house people. It's quite the ride. Yeah, no doubt. In fact, it's funny. I started in wireless in 99, um, not too long after you. Um, but, you know, uh, Maricom was probably the first competitor I knew of to the company I worked for, Whalen and Company, um, which which I worked on an AirTouch project. And I, I'd always would hear that we're, we, we got to beat Maricom. We got to do, you know, we got to do better than Maricom. And I didn't know what it meant because I was just a zoning manager. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really at the top and I just tried to do my job. But yeah, a lot of great people came out of Maricom that I know now, you know, that I met over the years. And yeah, so, you know, we kind of were, maybe we're, maybe we're 2G wireless people. Maybe we're one, one and a half G. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, um yeah, definitely. It's been a while for sure. And so um, those were good times. So yeah, and that 9-11, you mentioned that. I mean, that was a crazy time. And I remember um, going to the office that day and we had a small TV set that someone brought in and it was just surreal. Um, I'm sure it was surreal for you as well. But gosh, that was 21 years ago. It's kind of It's kind of wild. And we're still in wireless. Yeah, this is true. I think once you leave, you know, uh, you always come back and, you know, I'm probably a little bit of proof of that. But yeah, Maricom was a company, a force to be reckoned with for sure. And out of that company, several companies were born um, due to that tragedy. And so maybe that was the silver lining. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, you know, talk about the industry that, you know, since that time, generally, I mean, you've been um, in different roles. You were a a leader at West Tech, ultimately the president of West Tech. Um, What is, what do you think has changed over our 10 years in wireless? Um, Maybe some highlights of, of how you've seen the industry change over those years. Right. So, you know, industry has changed a lot. Um, A lot of it has stayed the same, but when I keep looking back and reflecting on that, the constant change is technology. And so, and, and we learned to grow with it. Um, no one knew how to install fiber or fiber up the pole um, to the tower or all of these small cells that we have today, right? We had to learn as technology evolved. And to me, that was really the biggest um, change. And, and I think it will be going forward. When we built the 4G LTE networks, we didn't know what was going to be used on them on those networks and those were life-changing events when we had uber and we could um, coordinate travel um, on our phones or we could shop or we could watch our our pets or our kids from home when we're out at work i mean those things were really kind of unfathomable and so as time changed it's just technology that kept driving us to to do things better different um or presented challenges. And so I, for me, I think it's really technology and, and then figuring out how to backhaul the bandwidth that we, that we require. Right. I mean, I didn't even believe I would need SMS texting when it first was announced. I thought, why wouldn't people just call? That seems (laughs) silly. (laughs) And here we are. No, I know. I remember that it it was, I I kind of remember the phone I had, I, I, that, I first had that was it enabled that, and I, you know, when you're, when I first tried it, 
Um, it was not everybody on the other end had a phone that even uh, had had texting on it. So it was kind of funny. Like I was an early adopter in that. I got pretty quick at the whole T9 thing and stuff. But, you know, and then smartphones came along and then, you know, kind of the rest is history. Um, and so, you know, a funny question for you is that you've been in the industry um, a little longer than I have. I mean, when when asked what you do for a living, let's say at a family Christmas party or a get together of some kind or a cocktail party or something, uh, have people over the years, um, well, I guess, let me rephrase it. Uh, do people get it quicker now than they did then when you have to kind of give them the, the back of the napkin version of what you do for a living? Or is it still like you got to go through this whole thing about cell sites and, you know, all that stuff? Right. Isn't that funny? Um, the first thing people always want to know is, can I fix their phone? And, and I'm, <laughs> no, I can't fix your phone. Um, I can show you how to use it, probably user error. But, um, you know, yeah, explaining how cellular systems work um, is something that is always an interesting topic. And people want to know where are we going and, and, and is it safe and, you know, how does it really work? And, you know, I always try to explain it almost like a biology project where we have big giant cell sites on the top of the mountains years and years ago that look like big circles of RF propagation. And now we're down to that tiny droplet phase. Um, trying to fill in all those tiny holes so that your phone will work and and that your phone really transfers from tower to tower um, as you're driving down the road and why it doesn't sometimes work because you know some people don't want a cell site in the backyard um, and and always finding the positive I think cellular networks and what the carriers have done today is amazing and provides us with so much opportunity in the world. Um, and I really believe that that will be the same moving forward. And I think the challenge will be how do we keep up with the the quickness of which technology is evolving? Yeah, you know, I that's something that I think has changed as well. I mean, a, a bit the, the the generations that are behind us, maybe the millennials and the, the ones after them, um, have embraced the relationship between infrastructure and their cell phone working better than let's say our generation and you know the gen x generation and the baby boom generation uh, before us uh, that's my observation is that kids kind of get it and they don't they don't get as worked up over the fake pine tree or whatever that's you know behind the behind the safeway or whatever than 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 um our generation even um because they understand how important it is their whole life. They've grown up. They, you know, I have got kids in their twenties. They don't remember a time without cell phones. And if explained to them how they work, they go, Oh yeah. Uh, put them wherever you need to. This is how this thing has to work. I think that's one change that I've noticed. Cause I used to do a lot of zoning hearings where I was treated like a demon for dare introducing this into the, you know, built environment. I think that's changed a lot. What do you hear? What's your take on that? Oh gosh exponentially i think one it's a utility for them it's not a luxury it's something that we must have um and even as a parent it's a must have for me too to be able to connect with my family my parents my kids when i need to and and that's an expectation um i'm okay with having a cell site where it needs to be so that we can we can function um efficiently when we need to and when we want to um i don't think that i could give that up so, and, and I'm glad that the new generation is embracing that. It, it's intuitive for them. It's, it's not something that they even had to really think about and learn. It just happened. 
Yeah, and you touched on backhaul. It's 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 funny. I mean, granted, when I worked on the Air Touch and 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 early you know, after the transition to Verizon, I mean, they were pretty. Uh, they they had a pretty robust uh, microwave network for sure um, for the time. And you know, but you know, recently I've kind of noticed that you know the the wall in between the wireline services and the wireless services kind of come down. It's come down inside the carriers. There used to be this big giant wall in between and, and, and now it's because, you know, the, the small cells, the cell sites, the 5g won't work without fiber and strong backhaul. Have you noticed um, that it's, we're just kind of talking about telecom. Now we're not talking about wireless versus wireline anymore. Well, and thank goodness, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the wireline guys had a lot of really great knowledge um, and focus on quality, which really propelled building quality networks in the wireless space. And and that wall needed to come down. I mean, there was a wall up when carriers didn't want to share a tower space. Right. Now, now we're sharing everything, right? And and I think ultimately we're going to have to share some bandwidth because we we'll probably will get to a point where we're going to be running out of that as well. And maybe who knows the carriers might decide to um, share their networks amongst each other more than we even see today in order to keep all of their subscribers happy. And won't that be interesting when we see decentralized networks um, built on blockchain and roaming partners in the ORAN space that's developing. I think it's really exciting what's going to happen. Yeah, me too. Um, so let's talk about uh, about Cowell for a moment. We're, you know, we're on the Cowell podcast. Um, I'm a Cowell, bo- Cowell board member on my second round of, of of that service to the organization. You were a longtime member of Cowell. Um, with respect to Cowell in particular, how you witnessed a lot of its early growth, and all nonprofits have growing pains to try to find their footing and you know find their voice. Um, what are your observations on, on Kawa from a historical standpoint, you know, kind of being there most of the, the, that time. Right. You know, Kawa was pretty uh, small when it first started. Um, it, it was just an, an idea. And thankfully John Dome and so many others decided, Hey, we're going to have a luncheon and kick off this organization. It had been something that they'd been kicking around for a long time. And really, Kawa exploded. Um, it seems like we couldn't give them enough information, enough networking events, um, and enough opportunity to um, provide some fundraising um, so that we could, one, donate to charity, and two, um, reach out to our politicians in our cities and our counties and our state to help propel the building of the wireless cell sites and and bringing some visibility to that. And that's really, I think, what the goal was um, and probably still is, is to support all of the efforts of the carriers and the companies that are actually out there trying to make these networks happen. Yes. And I'm glad you brought up John Dome. I mean, um, Crown in particular, but John, John, John uh, specifically uh, as an individual, but Crown, I think we've ha- had uh, three of our five-ish presidents uh, coming from Crown. Currently, our president, Scott Longhurst, I think Crown's really been, been a, 
a leader in supporting state wireless associations. And, you know, Crown also, I got to Crown credit, it's, it's, it's very aligned with Cal. And it's helpful that Scott's our president for this to happen, maybe, is that Crown does um, legislative work in Sacramento in particular that doesn't just benefit them, it benefits the industry as a whole, which is also sort of the role of Kawa. So, you know, it's from a regulatory standpoint, an advocacy standpoint, you know, you've got three or four carriers um, basically wanting all the same things from a, a, in, uh, you know, a regulation standpoint or modifications to regulations. Um, it's good to have a voice like Kawa to kind of speak on behalf of them all. And I think that's a, a been important role for Kawa because like we talked about the wireline, wireline and wireless sort of silos, I think the carriers, especially, you know, 15 years ago or so before Kawa was created, um, all were operating independently and didn't talk to each other very much. And I think the state wireless associations have helped even that communication level because you'd see somebody that was a 15 year employee at AT&T and a 50 year, 15 year employee at Verizon who may have never had a reason to meet each other at a mixer or a golf tournament or an educational session. And I think that was a really, that's a really neat thing. It's absolutely a really neat thing. And what a great platform in order to share ideas in a safe space, people that had some understanding um, and really collaborate on, wow, maybe we could do things different or understanding someone else's point of view just to bring some, you know, humbling to all of us because we're all trying to do the same thing. But the other great thing I think that Calwa really offered kind of along the same line was that networking and, and learning what other companies are doing. And, and we, the actual amount of people that are in wireless in certain regions is very small for the amount of money that is spent. Um, but then we learn new things and we're able to go to other companies and embrace new information and new ways of doing things. So I think the network value um, for Kawa is huge in our industry in the wireless space. And I'm so glad to see more companies supporting Kawa, jumping in and really trying to support their efforts. No, yeah, me too. Uh, in the early days, a lot of it was uh, SIDAC firms, um, uh, not so many GCs, but we've seen that change. It's And we're even seeing, you know, like I mentioned, sort of like more people on the fiber side um, we're coming to our events and, and it's been great. So um, lastly, and this is really cool and I'm excited for you is you've got a new venture um, um, that you've undertaken in, in your, in your wireless career um, or adventure at, uh, broad staff. Uh, and, you know, before, before we get into it deeply, I want to set the table that, that on this podcast over the last year, we have had many conversations either, you know, tangential to the main topic about labor shortages and talent shortages in our industry. And Broadstaff is one of those companies trying to address that along with, um, you know, servicing the its clients with the ebbs and flows of the work. So t- tell us about your new role at Broadstaff and t- tell us about what Broadstaff is doing. Well, thank you. I'm really excited about my new role. So Broadstaff is a telecom technical staffing firm, and they really specialize in wireless and wireline skill sets. Um, we do both temp and direct hire, so allowing for the ebbs and flows for projects, which we know come and go, um, and then also finding the right uh, 
direct hire person for a position. And gosh, the industry, it's always been difficult to find quality people. But now we have this convergence of wireless, wireline, edge computing, fiber. The, the industry is expanding faster than we can find resources to, to bring them into the industry. And, and that's the exciting space that I'm in at in Broadstaff. They obviously have a, an amazing brand, um, primarily in the East Coast and the Central, but they really asked me to step in and help them grow on the West Coast and support the customers that they already are serving here. And so I could not be happier about um, the new adventure and the challenge and um, to be a part of such a great company. It makes it's a perfect. It makes perfect sense. I mean, you've got such a great rep- reputation on the West, and you um, you know the business so well. I mean, um, I'm gonna uh, I'm not gonna say anything negative about about folks in the industry, but I could say a positive thing is it's good to have people like yourself in business development. I'm using air quotes because uh, it it's one thing to be able to open doors and and maybe for your, for your company, um, and, and, and have a good sales acumen, but it's another thing to actually know what it takes to build these networks. So when you're talking about, um, what maybe a potential client carrier, tower company, service company, et cetera, needs your, your broad knowledge can, can really, um, hone in on it. Otherwise you're kind of just a salesperson. So, I'm really, I'm really excited for you. Thank you. And you know what? That's kind of, that's the reason I think that um, it's going to be great. Um, it's also the reason why Broadstaff is different. So they have people like me that have been in the industry, that we understand the challenges, the pain points of what it takes to build a network. Um, and then we also train and teach our recruiters and the rest of our staff of what those issues are, what the challenges are. So we teach them about telecom. So when they're reviewing all those resumes, when they're looking at all of the candidates, we can weed out the candidates that don't make a fit. We're going to provide a good candidate um, that really understands what we're trying to accomplish. And and I think that's different than just a staffing firm or just a sales position. Um, I get it. And so does broad staff. Yeah, no, no doubt. Well, we're going to wrap this up. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you for doing this. And, um, you know, I, I do, I, I am concerned. You have uh, recently moved, I'm not sure how recently, from the from my from my home area, Orange County, to Santa Barbara. So does that mean you're not going to be going to our mixers as much? Because, <laughs> I mean, it's it's you're kind of in that in-between spot between Northern and Southern California. Well, I'm quite sure that I'll be uh, I'll be at the Cala events um, quite often, whether it's in Northern California or Sun- or or Southern California. So I'm excited to really jump back in and participate and um, be active again. It's been nice to have a little bit of a sabbatical and resettle my mind, um, but um, I'm excited to be back. And I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Lisa, and. For the rest of you, uh, our listeners, um, thank you for listening, and we'll see you at the next Cow event. Stay safe out there. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.